My name is Gretchen Wilson, and this scripture is uh, 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 7, and it's written by Paul to his uh, spiritual son, Timothy, and uh, Paul is at the end of his life, and uh, he's ready to be martyred. And when I read this, I thought, oh my, it's like a grandparent, any of you would be writing to their grandchildren. So, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather with them, around them, a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you... Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we are grateful. Uh, We're grateful that in our weakness, you are strong. In our ignorance, your wisdom shines all the brighter. Father, we pray that your spirit would be moving in ways that we did not anticipate or could not have anticipated this morning. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. You know, I don't think it's any surprise if I say I love church history. Um, there are so many just incredible, inspiring stories to be found in the history of our church and the church. And there's some really funny stories, too. Uh, did you know that in 13th century Norway, priests were actually baptizing babies in beer? Uh, yep. It happened. Uh, Apparently there was a water shortage, so beer sufficed. And, uh, you know, if you were going to ask me which country baptized babies in beer, I would have said Germany or Ireland. Norway wouldn't have risen to the top of the list. Pope Gregory IX actually had to condemn the practice. So that's why we don't baptize babies in beer anymore. Uh, Another better story comes from the life of Origen. Origen was an early church figure who was central in uh, 2nd and 3rd century Christian, um, just a brilliant scholar. And he was in Alexandria, Egypt. Alexandria, Egypt was a hub of Christian activity and flourishing. It was one of the main centers of Christian thought at the time. But persecution had broken out. And in the year 202, Origen's father was arrested for his faith and sentenced to be beheaded. 
Origen was so moved by that that he wanted to rush to the arena and die with his father a martyr's death. His mother, to prevent this from happening, hid his clothes. So, you know, Origen was willing to go and be beheaded, but not naked, you know. So mothers, that is now another tool in your arsenal, okay? Don't like the people your kids are hanging around with, hide their clothes. Origen's father was beheaded for his Christian beliefs. Origen went on to be one of the most important Christian scholars of his century. Being a Christian and choosing Christ doesn't mean we need to go seeking persecution or seeking martyrdom. But it does mean choosing an unwavering, undivided loyalty to Christ. This is the second part of a series, uh, the 12 steps or 12 steps of discipleship about loyalty. And this morning I want to think about with you five facets of loyalty, five ways we demonstrate our loyalty to Christ. First, we're called to be loyal to our king and to demonstrate that loyalty in our worship and our affection. Let me get a little Bible nerdy on you. Uh, the Bible is really organized around several key covenants. You have covenants with Noah, covenants with Abraham, with Moses, with David, and then in the New Testament, Jesus initiates the new covenant. And to that, I think you could add a covenant of works, covenant of grace, covenant of redemption. Those aren't as clear in the text, but I think they're there. Uh, but these covenants are often, they often mirror what is known as a suzerain vassal covenant of the ancient Near East. A suzerain was a king of an area, and he would make treaties or covenants with either other lesser nations or cities or his vassals. And he would offer them protection and other benefits of being in covenant, and they would swear to him covenant fealty, loyalty. You see this with the covenant with Abraham and with Moses. You see it especially with the covenant that God was making with his people through Moses at Sinai. Exodus is Exoduses, there's only one, Exodus 19 through 24 is an outline of this covenant and the people ratify the covenant in Exodus 24 and say, we will do this. We will be a part of this covenant that God is making with us. The passage that Bob used last week, Joshua 24, is a ratification or a reaffirmation of this covenant. And Joshua says, Choose this day who you're going to serve. The God who's delivered you from Egypt, who brought you safely across the Red Sea, who's bringing you into the promised land, who has dispossessed peoples ahead of you to give you their land and their homes. Either choose to serve him or the gods that your fathers served beyond the river or the God of the Amorites, whose homes you're now living in. There's a bit of irony in how Joshua puts this. Choose loyalty and choose to serve and worship the God who has saved you or the gods who he's vanquished. 
it would be unimaginably stupid, <laughs> monumentally stupid, to choose and serve the God of the Amorites. So again, the people said, no, we will choose, we will serve loyally Yahweh, our God. If you know much about the Old Testament, you know that Israel was not always faithful to that covenant. You get lots of disloyalty, especially in the periods of the judges, when they go out and they worship foreign gods, and they worship idols, and Asherahs, and Baals. And God punishes, they repent, God restores. They go chasing foreign gods again, and God punishes, they repent, he restores. And, and then the kings come along and they sent down that, they go down that same path, especially after Solomon. Solomon introduces through his foreign wives foreign gods, and the people go, well, the Bible puts it pretty bluntly, whoring after foreign gods. The Old Testament equates idolatry with adultery. You're breaking covenant loyalty with your God and worshiping foreign gods. This is portrayed explicitly in the book of Hosea. So there's all this negative disloyalty to the covenant that you see through the Old Testament and a few beautiful examples of covenant loyalty of men and women who did not bow their knee to Baal. Elijah comes to mind. He complained that I'm alone. I'm the only one that hasn't bowed the knee. I'm the only one that's remained loyal. And God says, no, I've preserved 7,000. The names Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come to mind. Uh, they're in exile, part of God's punishment for the national disloyalty to the covenant. And they're under King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar erects a giant gold statue of himself, and when the trumpets sound, the whole city is supposed to fall down and worship the golden idol of Nebuchadnezzar, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refuse. And so in a nation where everyone's bowing down, they're standing conspicuously, and they're threatened with a fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar says, bow down and worship the idol, the statue, or you will be thrown into a blaze. And the three men answer, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the, gold, the golden image that you have set up. God will save us, but even if not, we'll remain loyal. You move into the New Testament, and the new covenant is initiated by Jesus. A new covenant that the prophet Jeremiah had foretold in Jeremiah 31. The new covenant is, well, new. It's different than the Old Covenant, but not in every way. In the New Covenant, there is still a demand for loyalty. That demand for loyalty has not been relaxed 
So Jesus says in Matthew 6, don't serve money. Uh, You can't serve money and God. You can't have two masters. You'll hate one and love the other. You'll serve one and despise the other. God demands your total loyalty. I've been reading for my book club the book The Life of Pi. I'm late to the game. I know you've probably all already read it. Don't spoil it. I'm only 25% of the way in. Um, introduced to the main character, Pai Patel, who is a young man uh, in India who is Hindu. But he stumbles into a Catholic church and is enamored with Jesus. So he becomes a Hindu Christian. And then he meets a wise Muslim Iman. And he then becomes a Hindu Christian Muslim. could be a great story. But the pastor in me says, no. (laughs) No. Uh, There's no room for that in the new covenant in relationship to God. He demands total loyalty. So what is challenging your loyalty to God? Is it the God of pleasure, the God of money, the God of your career, the God of family, the God of party? What is it? You can't serve two masters. Be loyal to God. That was the longest point, I promise. The second, we're called to show loyalty to the king, to our God, through our obedience. Go back to that suzerain vassal treaty. They followed a a formula. There was obligations and blessings. Blessings and obligations. The king would say, you will, I I will do this. I will provide armies. I will give you a walled city. I, I will defend you. I will be the judge in your disputes. And you owe me your allegiance, parts of your crops, and obedience to my laws. Blessings and obligations. Abraham entered the covenant and there was blessings, right? I will make you a great nation. I will prosper you. And obligations. Get up and leave this country and go to the country I'm going to direct you to. And circumcise all the males in your household. The Mosaic covenant comes with blessings and obligations. Blessings. I I will give you this land. I will prosper you. You will be to me a treasured possession and obligations. The Ten Commandments, the Holiness Code, the Priestly Code, follow these. The New Covenant follows the same pattern. The new covenant in Jesus has tremendous blessings. It is a new and better covenant. The chief blessings are forgiveness of sin and knowledge of God. Jeremiah says, 
No one will say, let me teach you about the Lord anymore, because we will all know the Lord when the covenant, when the new covenant is fully realized. But there's also obligations. The law doesn't disappear in the new covenant. In fact, Jeremiah says, he will write the law on your hearts. Obedience is still required of God's people to show their loyalty. Jesus said as much in John chapter 14, if you love me, and you must, if you're in covenant with me, you must love me, then you will keep my commands. John later writes in 1 John 5, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. In the passage that was read from 2 Timothy 4, you see Paul teaching, encouraging the young pastor Timothy in his pastoral duties to help the people understand their needs to obey. He says, teach them. Teach them doctrine. Teach them the life of Christ and how to obey Jesus and walking as followers of Jesus. And when they step out of line, rebuke them. Exhort them to come back. Exhort them to continue faithfully to follow and obey. Too much recently, obedience has been treated as an optional add-on to faith. False. False. It does not earn our salvation, but it flows necessarily out of our salvation. We are called to obey. Third thing, we're called to demonstrate our loyalty To the king's cause. To the king's cause. Got real heavy there for a minute. Lighten it for a second. One of my favorite movies is the movie Tombstone. I know. Stereotypical guy movie, right? Love it. My favorite character is Doc Holliday. The loyal friend of Wyatt Earp. At one point, just before they're going to the OK Corral for this blazing gunfight, Wyatt Earp looks at Doc Holliday and says, this isn't your problem. You don't have to mix up in this. And Doc Holliday looks wounded, offended. How dare you say that to me? I'm your friend. Your problem is my problem. Your cause is my cause. Later in the movie, around a campfire after they've had another, of course, shootout in a creek, and Wyatt Earp has gunned down Curly Bill. Doc Holliday is coughing, coughing up blood because he's suffering from tuberculosis. And one of the men around the campfire says to him, Doc, why are you here? 
You should be in bed. And Doc Holliday says, Wyatt Earp is my friend. And the cowboy says back to him, I got lots of friends. And Doc Holliday says, I don't. He had picked one friend. And he was loyal to that friend and to that friend's cause. He would pour himself out literally for his friend and his cause. I hear that sentiment ringing in Paul's words that we read. I am being poured out as a drink offering. For my Lord and for his cause, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I took up the king's cause faithfully. And I've pursued it to the end. I've given all I had. Church, be loyal to the king's cause. Does that necessarily mean that you're called to go to a mission field? Not necessarily. But it means you, it means we ought to be in the business of supporting that cause, of promoting it, of advancing it, of evangelizing and spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. That is our King's cause. Loyalty to Him demands loyalty to that. And let me say just a word to parents. To parents. One of the ways you take up the King's cause is by teaching your children the ways of the Lord. Mission field, right here. Teach your children the ways of the Lord. The fourth thing, we're called to show our loyalty by faithfully discharging our vocations that God has appointed to us. In Hebrews 3, Paul says, Therefore, holy brothers, you share in a heavenly calling, Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of your confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses was also faithful in God's house. Jesus, Moses, the apostle Paul, Timothy, had calls from God, and they were faithful to fulfill those vocations. You too have a vocation that God has called you to. Maybe it's pastor, Maybe it's deacon. Maybe it's elder. In his letter to the church at Ephesus, Paul focuses on other kinds of duties, other kinds of vocations, husband, wife, child, parent. In those things that you've been called to, be faithful to discharge your duties. Single, it's a vocation. It's a calling. Be faithful in your singleness. Business owner. Citizen. Student. Be faithful in your calling. It's a way of demonstrating your faithfulness to Christ. I remember having a conversation decades ago with a student when I was in charge of Connection. The student was so proud of themselves. They were at connection. They were also signed up for a C group, which was a connection small group. 
They went to crew, which is fantastic. And they were in a crew small group. And they were also involved with international ministry. And the conversation didn't go the way that little student thought it was going to go. I don't know why I just called him little. Uh, That was very rude. I said, stop it. You're here at Indiana University. You've been called to be a student. Get the support you need. Be involved. But you're doing things. When are you studying? You're called to be a student. Faithfully discharge that vocation as well. Fifth, finally, we're called to show our loyalty to the king by loving and serving his people. I remember as we were preparing for our wedding, Lynn and I, uh, we were sitting with the pastor that was doing our premarital counseling, his, uh, her youth pastor growing up, and he asked us if we had a text that we would want read and we would want him to preach at from, uh, in our wedding, and I gave him that passage from Ruth. And he looked at me like, really? It didn't fit. It is not a wedding passage. (laughs) But it is a passage about loyalty. Ruth's husband had died. Naomi's husband had died. Naomi was leaving Moab and going back to Israel. And Ruth bound herself to Naomi in a incredible act of loyalty. Naomi said, no, go back with your sisters. Go back to your people. And Ruth says, no, I'll go where you go. I'll die where you die. Your people will be my people. I see in that an image of how we are to relate to each other. Jesus, I go where you go. Your people are my people. In the Timothy passage, Timothy was being encouraged to be faithful to God's people and to minister to them faithfully, even when they didn't want it. Paul says to Timothy, they're not going to want to hear what you have to say, always. Their itching ears are going to want easy messages, but be faithful to them. Don't give them that. Pour yourself out for them. Endure suffering. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says, I've labored and I've toiled and I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Beside everything else, I face daily pressures of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. Paul carried the burdens of God's people with him because of his loyalty to God's people. That loyalty can be severely tested at times. Last night, about 11 o'clock, I was talking with my son Luke, and I said, Luke, I need a story about loyalty. (laughs) Help me out here, bud. He basically said, Dad, you're an expert on loyalty. You're a Cleveland baseball fan. (laughs) So... 
We are the team with the longest championship drought, I think, in all of sports. I've endured for 25, 26, 27 years the highs and the lows, the fire sales of all the talent, the stupid management decisions, (laughs) the name change. My father-in-law bailed on him for that until his daughter got a hold of him, (laughs) said, you need to be more loyal. Loyalty can be tested, and it often is. Over the past year or two, I I listened to a podcast about the rise and fall of a megachurch called Mars Hill. A couple weeks ago, I watched a documentary series about the fall of Mega Church Hillsong. I was mad and disgusted. I've been mad and disgusted with churches I grew up in. I can confess it. I've been mad and disgusted with us sometimes. We can test our loyalty. Church can be filled with hurt and disappointment. But if we're loyal to the king, we'll be loyal to his people. That does not mean we don't call out sin or abuse or stand by and just let it happen. No, no, no. But we don't forsake the people of God. We don't give in. I I like to think of myself as a loyal person. I've had practice. A college friend once described me as incredibly stupid but fiercely loyal. It's a great compliment. But I'm now, I, I know I'm not as faithful as I ought to be. Over the past Uh, five, ten years, I've learned a word, microaggressions. My life is filled with micro-disloyalties. Thanks be to God, my disloyalties do not have the final word. Where Where we are unfaithful, God is faithful. Look to Peter and his restoration. If you have unearthed some infidelity to your Lord this morning or over the course of the last weeks, return to Christ. Return to covenant fidelity. Repent and find grace in him. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so grateful how you have bound yourselves to us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in a wonderful covenant. Father, we confess that we are not always loyal. We confess that you are a loyal and ever faithful God. Father, would you cover our transgressions with the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, and call us back to yourself, to newness of life, and covenant faithfulness. In Jesus' precious name, 
Amen.